so it's raining out. The tournament may be canceled today, and they just decided to give it to me, so I got the tartan. <laughs> if you're listening on podcast, uh, I'm wearing a tartan jacket, which for those of you who are here and maybe listening on podcast that don't know, uh, today is Sunday at the RBC Heritage right down here at uh, Harbortown in Sea Pines, and the winner uh, is gifted a jacket. Isn't that great? Yes, a jacket that looks like this. Where else would you wear a green jacket from the Masters and a plaid tartan jacket other than surrounding this game that we call golf? I mean, really, like, you know, you can't wear that anywhere else, either one of those two things. This is my grandfather's. This is really funny. I pulled this out today, um, and I remember my mom giving it to me a couple years ago uh, after he passed away, and I, I realized that my grandfather was really shorter than I am. You see that? Isn't that awesome? That's why he and I got along so well. There is someone shorter than me. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. Welcome. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm glad that you are here today. Uh, we begin this brand new series that we are calling Pedestal, and uh, I'm very excited about this particular series uh, and what we're going to be journeying through over these next uh, few weeks together. I got to tell you, um, golf uh, has been the thing that was kind of the, the defined my life as, as a kid. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a home uh, where at three years old, my dad had me on the golf course. Um, it was something that he loved to do. Uh, he, he grew up in a home where he really never played this game called golf, but uh, he learned it when he got into business, and he knew that he needed to do that to be a successful businessman in that day and age that he was uh, growing up and uh, as a businessman in. And so when I was three years old, my dad took me out to play my first round of golf, and it just ever since that point in time, um, golf began to define who I was. It was everything. I mean, I, I played when I was a kid. I, I played when I, when I was young. Um, I had a guy by the name of Wally Armstrong who, who was a guy that was in our church who taught me, um, and he had been on tour, and he's uh, really very well known in the golf community um, as a, a fantastic instructor, fantastic instructor. And so he was the guy that taught me uh, how to play this silly game that we all play, uh, walking around a bunch of grass with sticks and a ball. And um, so he taught me how to play, and I just absolutely fell in love with the game as a kid. And uh, I, I really, that, that kind of love uh, began to, to really be developed uh, in me over the years, so much so that um, every Saturday, whether we lived in Florida or Atlanta, we kind of bounced around between Florida and Atlanta over the years. And regardless of where we lived, um, my dad and I would go out and we would play 18 holes every Saturday. He traveled through the week. He traveled every Monday through Friday. And he would come home and he was an awesome dad, is an awesome dad. Uh, he's doing very well. Some of you are asking about him because my mom passed away about a month ago. And he is doing great. He's really recovering and doing well. So thank you so much for your prayers. But my dad was a great dad because he traveled so much, but we really didn't know it a whole lot because when he was home, he was home. And so we would go on Saturday mornings, and my dad and I would play golf. We'd play 18 holes, and then we'd come back to the house, and he and I would be outside in the yard for the rest of the afternoon. And that was kind of uh, Saturday, and then Sunday we'd get up and we'd go to church, 
And we would come home Sunday afternoon, and we would do what every good American does after church on Sunday afternoon. What is that? You watch sports on TV, right? Because Sunday is a big sports day. And so we'd watch football. Uh, we'd come home and, and watch football in the fall. And we're not basketball people. We're all short. So we're not basketball people. So we wouldn't watch, ba- wouldn't watch sports for a while on Sundays. But then in the spring and into the summer, we'd watch golf on Sunday. We'd always watch the Sunday telecast of golf. And, and I loved it. I, it just kind of fed this, this love for this game called golf. And, and, and so every Sunday we'd watch the tournaments. And there'd be some weeks we'd miss and, and uh, some months we'd miss and some tournaments we might miss on Sunday. But I got to tell you, uh, we would watch five Sunday tournaments, five Sunday, the final day of tournaments uh, throughout the year. It was all the majors. Um, we would watch the Masters and we would watch the U.S. Open. And my dad would tape on his D, uh, uh, VHS he would tape the British Open earlier that night, and we'd come home Sunday and, and watch that. And if you don't know about taping on a VHS, um, ask your parents sometime about that. So uh, anyway, we'd come home, and we'd watch that um, on Sunday, watch the, uh, the Open, the British Open. And then we would watch the PGA Championship, so we'd watch the four majors. But there was a tournament that existed that my dad and I never missed on Sunday, and it was the Heritage, which was once called the Heritage Classic, out of Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. We just loved watching it. And I loved watching that tournament, a tournament that's been going on since before I was alive, uh, that some of the greatest golfers in, in history have, have won. And, and it's been amazing through the years to see um, that tournament and all the great things that the foundation does for our community and for uh, our state. Uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful tournament. And I cannot believe that here I am at 42 years old and I live on Hilton Head Island where this great tournament is that goes on every year. Sometimes I have to pinch myself to think that I live here on Hilton Head. I've lived here for eight years. And, and golf was just something, this whole idea of watching it and playing it, it was something that just built in my life. It just kept building and building and building. And by the time I got into middle school, the thing that I wanted to do with my life was play professional golf. That was it. It was everything to me. I, I would go home after school and I, I would play golf. I'd go hit balls. I'd go to the driving range and spend hours out on the driving range. And I, I built up, if you guys are, some of you are golfers, you build up calluses on your hand if you play a lot, sometimes blisters, uh, if you're not holding the club the right way. And so anyway, we, we would uh, go to the driving range all the time and we played and played and played. My dad and I played so much golf together growing up and it just became insatiable. And so me and my buddies, we started playing together. We'd go out to this little place out uh, past Stone Mountain, Georgia, this little cow pasture that we would play at. Uh, it was a, a terrible, terrible uh, uh, golf course, but it was great. We had so much fun. And this, this hobby, this sport, began to be a love for me. It began to be the obsession of my life. It was everything. It was everything. But I was also a normal um, middle school and high school kid, and so I played soccer for four years. And in my junior year of playing soccer, I had a freak injury to my right wrist, and I had to have a cast for three months. It was broken. A small bone was broken on my right wrist, and I had to have a cast for three months. And so they put the cast on, three months later, took it off, and it had done no healing whatsoever, absolutely none at all. 
So they tried different therapies to try to get it to heal over the next three months, and that didn't work. So finally, they decided they needed to do surgery, and they needed to put a pin in my wrist and do a bone graft from my hip. And it was uh, a, a real kind of tumultuous time as a junior uh, trying to deal with all this and another cast for three months. I, I spent about nine months um, really having almost no mobility in my wrist. And the thing that I always thought about through those nine months or so was I cannot wait to get this thing off. I can't wait to get it fixed because I can't wait to get out there and play golf. I couldn't wait to get back out to the course. And I got that cast off and the bone had healed. Everything was fine. But the doctor looked at me and he said, man, I, I got some bad news. You're not going to be able to play golf for a long time. And I ended up having to take three years off of this game that I love, this game that I just had this passion for. I wasn't the most talented guy out there. I didn't do very well in tournaments. I, I, had, uh, I had a decent golf swing, uh, but, and, and I could have done something with it. I might have done something with it. Who knows what would have happened. But during that three years of my life, that dream died, absolutely dead. And, and here's the thing. My everything in life, that thing that I loved with a passion in an instant was gone. It was gone. And during that last part of my junior uh, year in high school and into my senior year, I got to tell you, because my everything was gone, um, I began to slip into a, a little bit of what I would probably call mild depression about where I was going and what I was doing in life because I had poured everything, everything into this sport called golf. And it's amazing how you and I as humans will do that with something that we are so incredibly passionate about, something that we may slip into an obsession about. We view it as everything in our lives, and the moment that it fails us, the moment that is pulled away, the moment that that thing is gone, our whole life falls apart. Our whole being and existence falls apart and slips away if we make that thing our everything. This series that we're going to be walking through over these next few weeks called Pedestal was really birthed out of a period of time in my life as a pastor where I, I had some counseling sessions um, with some people. And uh, the, the counseling sessions kind of uh, went like this, man, I, I've got this thing, uh, you know, that I was just really attached to, and now it's gone, and I'm trying to figure this out. And I kept hearing myself saying, uh, you need to be careful not to take God off the pedestal in your life and put this other thing in your life. And then I got thinking, am I saying that right? Does, what does that mean? I've just heard that before. Like, that's terrible counseling, um, just to say things that you've heard before. And so I kind of did some research and found out that's the right phrase that I was looking for. And as I thought about it, I got thinking that I have stuff on my pedestal just like the people I'm counseling had stuff on their pedestal, I had things on my pedestal other than God too. And it began in my life when something good like golf became my everything. It became everything to me. And so throughout this series, over these next few weeks together, we're going to be talking about the pedestal of our lives. A pedestal is a structure that's in place, just like this pedestal here, it's a column or a structure, that, structure that's in place, and it, it acts as a support. It acts as uh, the, uh, the tool with which we lift something up. 
in terms of using it as an idiom like we're using it throughout this series, it's really used to take something uh, of yours that is your everything and lift it up to a point where it becomes what we worship. Take a look at your notes this morning. You received them when you came in today. We're going to be talking about this word pedestal today. And I want to define this and kind of use it as a springboard for the rest of these few weeks. Uh, a pedestal used the way we're using it in not the noun uh, form, but in, in terms of the idiom form, really means to glorify or idealize or idolize. Are you with me? You see, each one of you have a pedestal. You have a place in your heart and in your mind and with your hands and with your being that you will prop up what is most valuable or important to you. And in my life, for a long period of time, that thing that I propped up was this silly game called golf. It became my everything. It became everything that I thought about, everything that I dreamed about, everything that I hoped for. I had put everything about my life, I had put golf on the centerpiece of that. And so when it failed me, my life seemed like it fell apart. We all have a pedestal. We all have a place in our lives that we are going to prop up or put up something that we see as the most valuable thing in our lives. And for each one of you, it's going to be something different. It's going to be something unique. For some of you, there may be a lot of different things on your pedestal. Mine, for a long time, was golf. And this tartan plaid, get your plaid on, jacket is representing what my pedestal was. Because here's what happens in our lives. I want you to capture this. Whatever we value, whatever we think is most important in our lives, whatever we think is our everything, once we put it on the pedestal of our lives, it becomes the idol. It becomes the thing that we worship. And you and I, we set ourselves up for failure in our lives when we put things up on the pedestal of our lives that are things that are going to let us down. And I want to let you know, whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, whether it's a game, a hobby, a sport, whether it's money, possessions, whether it's relationships, whatever that thing is for you, putting it up on the pedestal of your life and idolizing it and worshiping it is going to set you up in your life for spiritual failure. One of the early church fathers, a guy by the name of St. Augustine, some of you have heard of St. Augustine, he wrote a uh, wrote a book, what ended up becoming a book, it was really just a collection of his thoughts uh, to God. It was called Confessions. And in Confessions, St. Augustine says this, You, God, made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I want to let you know that each one of you have this pedestal. And the thing is about our humanness, about our frailness, because we're made in the image of God, his intent for us is that he is on the pedestal of our lives. And so what does that mean for you? Well, if you're a Christ follower in here today, over these next five, six weeks together, we're going to really challenge what's on the pedestal of our lives. 
We're going to really look and take a real introspective, hard look to see if God is the thing that's on the pedestal or if maybe it's something else that we have in our lives. For those of you who are here today and um, maybe you just came in here and your faith journey is not developed or maybe uh, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I th- my prayer and my hope for you is that you'll learn that you do have this thing in your life. You do have this place of honor and worship. And the only thing that truly fits there is a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Take a look at your notes this morning. We're going to establish this morning kind of some foundational things so that we can springboard from, kind of some baseline uh, things, kind of a pivot point for us to talk about. Because over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how our pedestal can include finances, how our pedestal can include our self-image, how it can be other people. That's a huge one. Other people, we put other people up on a pedestal and we begin to worship them and not others. Our status, who we are, we're going to be talking about these things. But today what we're going to do is just really establish some foundational groundwork things that will help us understand what God's intent for our lives is. Take a look at this, point number one. First and foremost, we were created to place and to keep God on the pedestal of our lives. You and I, we were created to place God and to keep God on the pedestal of our lives. This past message series that we've been talking about uh, in uh, He Will Come to Save and then He Has Come to Save, we talked about this relationship that God had with the nation of Israel and, and then how that really dovetails into His relationship with humanity. And so we took the journey of, of Israel from Abraham all the way through Moses when Moses and, and Aaron took the nation of Israel across the Red Sea and into the Sinai Peninsula. And oddly enough, today, uh, we kind of are going to pick up that story in this new message series that we have today. And, and Moses is, is out there with two and a half million people uh, who are part of the, the Hebrew people, part of the Jewish race, uh, the people uh, called the nation of Israel. And they're out in, in the desert, in the Sinai Desert, and, and Moses goes up to this mountain and he encounters God himself. And what does God give him? You can say it. He, God gives him what to take down from the mountain? The what? The Ten Commandments, right? So he takes down the Ten Commandments. But I, I want you to take a look at this, this very first commandment that he gives to his people. Take a look at Exodus 20, verse 3. God tells us this. It's not just meant for the nation of Israel. It's meant for you and it's meant for me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the book of Deuteronomy is a restating of the Ten Commandments. It's really kind of an exhaustive restating of the Ten Commandments. And we see it again in Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, from the beginning of the relationship between God and man, God established himself as a jealous God. Now, we don't like hearing that, do we? In our modern age, we don't like to think of God as jealous, but the fact is, is that it's because of his jealousy that he loves you so much, that love we just sang about. It's because of his jealousy that he was graceful enough and merciful enough to send his son to die on a cross to save us from our sins. It's because he's jealous and he wants our affection and our attention. It's because of that jealousy that he gives us a free gift of heaven when we put our faith and trust in him. And so God established from the beginning of time that you and I as humans were made to worship 
We were made to put him on the pedestal of our lives. We were made for that purpose. And then Jesus rep- uh, repeats the command. It, it's re- recorded in Matthew 6.33 when he says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You see, golf for me would have been much better, probably much more enjoyable, probably much more fun, if I had made sure in my life that I had God first and foremost on the pedestal of my life. He says, seek me first, and then I will add all these things to you. And then I will add all these things to you. And we have trouble as humans with the and then, don't we? We have a difficult time with that. Let's face it. We have a difficult time waiting for the then. These things will be added to you. But there is no ambiguity about it. There's clarity about it. God established and made us to worship him. And he is to be first in our lives. Everything else is intended to be secondary. Point number two, take a look at this this morning. Love this. When anything other than God is on our pedestal, we set ourselves up to be spiritually vulnerable. When anything other than God is on our pedestal, whether it's a person, whether it's a place, whether it's a thing, whether it's a mindset, whether it's a philosophy, whether it's a belief, when anything other than God is on our pedestal, we set ourselves up for spiritual vulnerability. I kind of like this next passage we're going to take a look at because I can identify with Moses sometimes, but I really can identify with the other people uh, more than Moses sometimes. Take a look at this from Exodus uh, uh, 32. Uh, Moses is, is up on the mountain with God. And, and God is giving him these Ten Commandments. And evidently Moses is taking his time up there on the mountain. <laughs> because the people are down below in the valley and they're getting frustrated that Moses has taken his sweet time up on that mountain. If they had only known that he was with God, right? They might not have been complaining about it. Take a look at Exodus 32 to see what happened when these people got restless. Verse number 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed, I love that word, that's great, to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. That's Moses' brother. He was kind of like the the second in command, if you will, uh, with Moses there. So they gathered him together with Aaron and said to Aaron, up. Like, I'm wondering where Aaron was. Like, I get the feeling they woke him up from his sleep, don't you? Like, wake up, Aaron. Come on, man, get up. Make us gods, small g, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him, Aaron. It's like this. Hey, Aaron, um, Moses went up on that mountain a few days ago, and he hasn't come back. Yeah, this is search and rescue now. He's probably gone. He's probably not there anymore. He's probably gone. We need something to follow. We do not know what's become of him. Verse 2, so Aaron, being the great, strong, passionate, values-driven leader that he is, said to them, okay, take off those rings, throw them in this furnace, 
Take off that gold that's on your rings and in, in, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took all the gold that was, that was with them, that was on their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these, and they, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now let's stop for a moment. We'll read the next uh, few verses in a moment. But I just want to stop for a moment. Picture the fact that this tribe of people, this great nation of people, two and a half million most theologians believe, has been led by God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation. He, they, have, they have been led by him out of slavery, and they're frustrated because their leader went up on the mountain for a little while and won't come down so much so that they want a new God. Isn't that amazing? They want a new God. And it says here that Aaron built an altar. You know what an altar is? It's just like a pedestal. An altar, the word that's used in the original language there, literally means a structure that supports something up. And what they would do in this day and age is they would make a sacrifice on that altar, on that pedestal, to worship their idol, in this case a golden calf. See, even the nation of Israel had its pedestal. They even built the pedestal to that thing that they thought was their everything, that calf. They wanted something that they could follow because they thought that Moses and God was taking, were taking too long. Take a look at verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. These people now are, have become so obsessed with this golden calf, this idol, this thing that is their everything, that they are making burnt offerings and peace offerings. That was something that was reserved for the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they are taking what they think is most important to them, and they are completely dishonoring their God by giving sacrifice to this other God, small g, to this thing that has become now their pedestal. Verse 7, I love this. This is great. And the Lord said to Moses, um, Moses, you need to go down from this mountain. For your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf. They made it. They have worshipped it, and they have sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They made it, they worshipped it, and they sacrificed to it. Those are three things that are very important, because i got to tell you, when it comes to the things in our lives that come before God, sometimes we make it up, don't we? We make them. We create it. And then sometimes... You and I worship it when we become so obsessed with it. And then often we give more to it than we should by sacrificing to it. We sacrifice ourselves and our relationship with God to feed that thing that we think 
is our everything. The nation of Israel was no different. We're no different than a nation of Israel. Take a look here at what it continues to say, verse 9 and 10, as we finish up this passage. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. I want you to capture this. Please don't miss this this morning. God desires for him to be on your pedestal because of his great love. We read those, those last two verses and we think, I don't like that God. He talks about anger and he talks about wrath. But you see, it's God's anger and wrath when we disappoint him, when he sees us sinning, when he sees us putting something else on the pedestal other than him. It's that anger and wrath and jealousy that also drives his love for us. He so desires for you to love him. He so desires for you to respond back to him in a way that's honoring to him, that's worshiping to him, that's giving offerings back to him. And so we need to understand this morning that each one of us have a pedestal. We each have a thing in our lives that we're going to put on that thing, that thing that props up something that we worship. We're going to put that thing that is our everything that's most important to us, but we were made Put God there. And point number three, I want you to see today. How do we do this? And this is going to be our pivot point. This is going to be what we go back to each and every week as we dig in and kind of dive into these each individual things that we, we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. It's this. Point number three. We put God on the pedestal of our lives when we love him with our total self. We put God on the pedestal of our lives when we love him with our total self. When we love him with everything that we've got, with our hearts and our heads and our hands. When we do that, when we understand that, all of a sudden we put him on the pedestal of our lives instead of what we think is most important. When we love him with our, our heads and our, 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 our heads and our hearts, and our hands. I love this phenomenon that, that takes place in Scripture. This is great. All the way back in Deuteronomy, um, God gives us instruction on, on how we're supposed to live through the Ten Commandments and expansion of that. And, and here's what it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, what is that first word there? Heart. With all your, you can say it with me, soul. And with all your, what's that last word? Might. And I love this phenomenon because Jesus repeats this, and it's recorded several different times in the Gospels. He repeats this whole idea of loving God with our total self. Take a look at this in, in Matthew 12, 30. And you shall love the Lord your God uh, with all your heart and with all your soul. And he adds to it with all your mind and with all your strength. 
Matthew records it this way in Matthew 22, 37, where you have the greatest commandment. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then again in Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's the same thing as might and mind. And so there, I've kind of categorized these into three different ways for you and I to understand this. And this is where we're going to have our pivot point throughout these next few weeks. We're going to come back to this as we filter each of these things that are common pedestals that replace God on the pedestal of our life. And we do it with our heads, and we do it with our hearts, and we do it with our hands. And I believe that each one of you, and, each, and myself included, I think each one of us has a different inclination. Some of you are led more by your mind and what you think. That's me. I'm led there first in terms of what's on the pedestal of my life. Some of you are led by your hearts, like your heart is that first thing to go. Or, or some of you are led by your actions or your hands. And, and those are the three things. Take a look at these three things here real quick. Our, our head is, is, is our minds, our thoughts, our attention, and our reason. Paul kind of gives us a, a way that we can protect keeping God on the pedestal of our lives. In Colossians 3, 2, and he says, set your mind on things above not things that are on the earth and then we have our hearts which is our emotions our our affections our our devotion to something our passion towards something and proverbs the writer of proverbs says this about our hearts in proverbs 4:23 keep your heart with all vigilance for from it from it flows the springs your translation may say, guard your heart. That's literally what it means, to keep or to guard your heart. So we're supposed to set our minds on things above. We're supposed to have our hearts be protected from that which can get to us. And then finally, our hands really means our physical bodies, our actions or behaviors, or even energy, that word means. Paul gives us the baseline of how we can keep our, our, our physical bodies keeping God on the pedestal of our lives in Ephesians 5.15 when he says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. And each week as we walk through this, as we take a look at money, as we take a look at self-worth, as we take a look at status and self-image and relationships and how we often take all of those different things and put them on the pedestal, when we do that, we remove God from it. Do you see? When we put that thing on the pedestal of our lives and make it our everything, we remove God from it. We're going to be taking a look at how we do that in different areas that are common to you and I with our heads and with our hearts and with our hands over these next few weeks. And my prayer over these next few weeks is that you would be challenged to do everything that you can prayerfully keeping God up on the pedestal of your life. So this morning, I want to end with a question. I want to end with two questions, actually. It's something to think about this morning. What's on your pedestal? What do you have that has replaced God? Because anything in your life that knocks him off the pedestal can become your everything. And when your everything is gone, when your everything fails you, your life will fall apart. If you keep God on the pedestal of your life, if you keep this in check, 
and you can be protected spiritually. Why, where are you most vulnerable? Are you most vulnerable in terms of your thinking, in terms of your reasoning, in terms of your mind? Are you most vulnerable with your heart? Or are you that type of person that's impetuous? Man, you're vulnerable with your actions. I want to spend a few moments as we close this morning asking you just to talk to God about what's on the pedestal of your life. Maybe right now you're doing really well in this area. And so if you're in here today and you're really doing well and Jesus is right up there on the pedestal of your life, ask him for the courage and the strength to continue that. And if you're here today and maybe you've been wavering, you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been wavering and you've let some other things creep in and he's been knocked off, ask God to reveal what those things are and ask him to reveal where you are most vulnerable. And over these next few weeks, will you make the commitment to really get honest with yourself, really get introspective, and find out how you can ensure that you keep him on the pedestal of your life. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would guide us in these few moments of just talking to you, of just expressing quietly to you how we're doing in terms of that thing that defines us how we're doing in terms of what is our everything. God, I pray that right now you would reveal to those who are in this room things that they have on the pedestal of their life that might have bumped you off. God, and maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a lifestyle, maybe it's a, a commitment to something that's completely dishonoring to you. God, maybe it's a, something that is keeping them from growing spiritually. But God, maybe it's something that's good. Maybe it's something that is actually healthy for them, for us. But we've made it our obsession. We've made it everything. Perhaps it's a relationship. Perhaps it's something physical. Perhaps it's greed. Perhaps it's something emotional. And God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would reveal that to those who are listening today. And God, I pray that you would also help us to reveal that area of our lives in which we are most vulnerable. God, maybe it's our heads, maybe it's our hearts, maybe it's our hands. Just in the quietness of this room right now, I just want to ask you to just talk to God about these things. Ask his Holy Spirit just to reveal in your life what you need to be focused on over these next few weeks together. And after a minute, I'll pray and kind of close out our time, and then we'll worship God together. Just take a few moments in silence and just talk to him. Spirit right now, I pray that you would just continue your work of piercing our hearts, of seeking us out, of finding what's in us that causes us to put other things other than you on the pedestal of our lives. God, I pray that you would encourage those who are here today and, oh man, you are on the pedestal of their life. And God, they're solid with it. They're solid. They're confident about their relationship with you. I pray that you would encourage them.
God, I pray that you would be with those who walked in here today and they've been a Christ follower for some time, but they've really struggled recently to put something else up high and worship it. And God, I pray that you would do an amazing work in their lives. And God, I pray for those who are seeking you right now. God, I pray that over these next few weeks that you would put things and people and situations into their life point them to you so that they can make a decision to accept you as their savior and put you on the pedestal of their life. God, help us, be with us, guide us, help us to realize that you won't fail us, that you won't leave us. God, that the only thing that we need is you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.